Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Noranda Income Fund third quarter 2020 financial results conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's presentation, there will be a question and answer session open to financial analysts and investors only. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, Please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, November the 6th at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I will now turn the conference over to Liana Santomo, Chief Executive Officer of Canadian Electrolytic Zinc Limited, the Funds Manager. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Also joining me this morning is Paul Enerson, Chief Financial Officer of Canadian Electrolytic Zinc Limited, the Funds Manager. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to slide three of the presentation regarding forward-looking information. During the course of today's presentation, we will be making a number of forward-looking statements that are based on certain assumptions and subject to a number of risk factors outlined on this slide. As a result, Naranda Income Fund cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statement will materialize, and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Please note that all dollar amounts in this presentation are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise indicated. Let's begin with a brief overview of the quarter ended September 30, 2020. We continue to operate in the context of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic here in the province of Quebec, where it is well into its second wave. In this environment, we are focusing on maintaining a rigorous approach to operating to ensure the health of our workforce and to maintain our operations. While measures implemented have increased costs somewhat and added complexity to the execution of tasks, sales and production volumes in the quarter remained relatively stable both compared to the previous quarter and the same quarter last year. These measures have become our new normal. We kicked off construction work on our strategic expansion projects announced last quarter to enhance our efficiency and production capacity. During the quarter, the foundation of the new building housing the belt filters was poured so that the structure can start being erected. While we are in the initial stages, we have no indication at this time that we should run into additional costs or significant delays. As a reminder, the total cost of the projects is estimated at $32 million and will be funded by the proceeds of our stream agreement with BaseCore. Project completion and commissioning is slated for early 2022. In addition, we are pleased that the terms of the exclusive agreements with Glencore Canada for the purchase of concentrate and the sale of zinc metals have been extended through to April 30, 2025. The extension avoids any uncertainty regarding our source of feed supply through that period. We can focus on our operations in these unusual times and safely move forward with our expansion projects. In addition, the extension of the non-renewal notice period 
from 180 days to 540 days provides a fund with a longer period of time <clears throat> to plan an orderly transition should Glencore elect to not automatically renew the agreements in place. Finally, we, we also close a chapter regarding the class action lawsuit related to a sulfur trioxide emission that occurred at the plant in 2004. The agreement reached was to the satisfaction of all stakeholders. The settlement provides for compensation of up to $1.68 million. The settlement has no material impact and will be covered by our insurance policies. Looking now at our top line results, which Paul will discuss in more detail, the fund posted a loss before income taxes of $4.1 million compared to earnings of $15.5 million in the third quarter of 2019. This decrease primarily reflects the impact of our derivative instrument losses. Adjusted EBITDA was $14.3 million compared to $20.4 million in the third quarter of 2019. Zinc prices were volatile in the quarter and trended upwards notwithstanding curtailed demands impacted by broader financial market influences. Although market-based treatment charges decreased dramatically in the last two months of the quarter, the funds realized treatment charges decreased less sharply as a substantial amount of the concentrate consumed in the quarter was from inventory purchased during periods when market treatment charges were higher. We anticipate continued volatility in zinc prices and treatment charges in the near term. As mentioned, our production and sales volumes remained relatively stable. This is despite higher than normal temperatures in the quarter. Feed mix recipes have been adjusted since the closure of the Caribou Mine in New Brunswick, Canada to minimize any impact on production. For Q3, zinc metal production decreased just 2% to 64,748 tons from Q3 2019. Overall, Zinc and byproduct sales have continued relatively uninterrupted throughout the pandemic. For Q3, zinc metal sales totaled 64,749 tons, also down just 2% from Q3 2019. Sulfuric acid sales were down at 93,558 tons, compared to 106,609 tons in Q3 2019. This variance is due to feed mix containing less sulfur as well as higher consumption of secondary material. With three quarters under our belt, and despite the challenges posed by COVID-19, we remain on track to achieve our 2020 sales and production targets of between 260,000 to 270,000 tons. This reflects the continued flexibility, commitment, and strong effort from our employees, contractors, and suppliers. Looking at our production and sales targets for 2021, we expect these to remain in line with those established for 2020. So again, in the range of 260 to 270,000 tons. Until the completion of our expansion projects, our ability to increase production is limited as we continue to adjust to processing a more varied and higher impurity concentrate mix. Before I turn it over to Paul, Let's take a quick look at our key performance drivers. <clears throat> zinc concentrate and secondary feed process increased to 134,026 tons. Zinc grade was slightly higher at 54.4%. Zinc recovery was also slightly higher at 
Average LME zinc price was at $1.06 a pound, which is the same as for the third quarter last year, but much higher in the second quarter when it stood at $0.89 cents a pound. This reflects ongoing commodity price volatility, which affects our results. The average foreign exchange rate stood at $0.75. Cents. Paul, over to you. Thank you, Liana, and good morning, everyone. Adjusted net revenues were $49.3 million in Q3 2020, compared to $58 million in the same period last year. Lower adjusted net revenues reflect slightly lower volumes and lower zinc prices. The third quarter was also negatively impacted by lower sulfuric acid prices at $55 a ton, compared to $62 a ton in the same period of 2019. The impact on market terms on concentrate was muted. Uh, treatment charges on a substantial amount of the concentrate process during the quarter were set prior to the sharp drop experienced during the quarter, thereby delaying the impact of the lower treatment charges. Adjusted EBITDA was at $14.3 million compared to $20.4 million in the third quarter of 2019. Lower adjusted EBITDA in Q3 also reflected slightly lower volumes, lower zinc prices, and lower sulfuric acid prices. Significantly lower market terms on concentrates have had a lesser impact due to inventory blending. The losses in Q1 and Q2 of 2019 show the impact of the higher impurity levels and unplanned maintenance, which negatively impacted volumes processed in the first half of 2019. Cash flow from operations, excluding change in working capital, interest, and tax payments, was a negative $22.5 million in Q3 2020, compared to a positive $23.5 million in the same period last year. The significant decrease reflects the sharp de- decrease in zinc prices, which created sharp increase in zinc prices, which created losses on derivative instruments. CapEx in the quarter came in at $4.2 million compared to $5.2 million in the same period last year. Capital spending included $1.6 million on asset plant and roaster equipment, $1.2 million on maintenance of operations, $0.6 million on annuals in the sell house and a balance on other sustaining capital. $0.3 million was spent in the quarter on filtration improvement, which is part of our strategic expansion projects. As the expansion projects ramp up, the CapEx burn rate will increase, including as of Q4. Turning now to liquidity and capital resources, as at September 30, 2020, there was $170.1 million drawn down on the EBL when including letters of credit, leaving an excess availability of $9.9 million. The fund's debt increased as at September 30, 2020, from the end of December 2019, as a result of cash used by operating activities during the period. Working capital, excluding the ABL, was $235 million compared to $216.1 million at the year end. The increase primarily reflects higher inventories due to zinc oxide parcels received in the first half of the year and to taking ownership of two scheduled vessels at the end of the third quarter. Of note, as a result of the extension of our exclusive agreements with Glencore Canada, and subject to lender approval, the ABL maturity, late, maturity date becomes July 23, 2023. As previously announced on July, uh, July 31, 2020, the fund entered into a senior secured metal liability agreement with Basecore base Metals, under which Basecore will make advance payments of $40 million against the future purchase of zinc. 
The proceeds are being used to invest in debottlenecking the processing facilities filtration and cooling capacities. To date, the fund received $12 million of the advance payments as per the agreement and upon transaction closing this past July 31st. The next payment, also of $12 million, will likely be received late in, in Q4 of 2020 or early in 2021. For accounting purposes, the $12 million initial payment has been recorded as a liability on our balance sheet. The book value of the liability as at September 30th, 2020 was $14.4 million. In addition to repayments and accretion expense, the liability will be revalued at each period end through an embedded derivative to reflect changes in zinc price forecasts over the anticipated repayment term. As mentioned by Leanne at the beginning of the call, we expect volatility in zinc prices and treatment charges to remain for the foreseeable future. Given the evolving and dynamic nature of the COVID-19 pandemic and market conditions in our sector, it remains difficult to predict how adverse and how lengthy the impact may be from both a public health and economic perspective. To provide some color, I wanted to share you with some of the key conclusions put forward by industry experts, including Wood McKenzie, to gain better insight into the market dynamics currently at play and likely to have an impact on the fund's performance. So according to Wood McKenzie, the global pandemic has transformed the zinc market in 2020 and eliminated the previously expected concentrate market surplus due to the 1.4 million ton loss of mine supply and, and, the resulting, and the resulting in spot treatment charges falling to low levels. For its part, smelter production has been relatively unaffected due to abundant inventory of concentrate at the beginning of the year and relatively limited production impact from the pandemic. In terms of outlook, Wood McKenzie believes that global zinc consumption is set to fall by 800,000 tons in 2020, which would mark the third consecutive year of contraction and would result in a large surplus in the refined market. On all of these points, industry experts are generally aligned. Uh, looking at the mine supply though, you know, Wood McKenzie expects mine supply to bounce back in 2021 and 2022, resulting in, resulting in surpluses in concentrate and refined markets. Uh, in this regard, uh, industry views are, are more wide ranging with others being much more pessimistic on global mine supply from a slight deficit according to CRU to only slight concentrate surpluses according to Concord and Ocean Partners. Wood McKenzie themselves have also been downgrading their forecasts, uh, reducing their surplus forecast uh, that they made in October from uh, which was 488,000 tons. And they've down, just in their November report, they pulled that down to 321,000 tons. As for the price of zinc, the forecast is that it will be supported by investor confidence and other factors and will remain in the region of $2,200 to $2,500 per ton over the next few years. For the fund, this means that uncertainty remains on to how all of this will play out with the global, the ongoing global pandemic, and that we will continue to be subject to evolving market dynamics. Market dynamics, sorry. In this context, we are maintaining our priorities. We continue to monitor the situation closely with a focus on operating efficiently and safely. From sources of supply to ensuring we are following the public health measures required, there has been a concerted and to date successful effort in ensuring that our operations and production levels are maintained. We are quite excited to be able to kick off, uh, kickstart our expansion projects. While we are still in the initial stages, we look forward to providing you with updates as we make progress. Our 2020 zinc metal production 
and sales volume guidance of 260,000 to 270,000 tons remains unchanged, and we expect to come in a similar range for 2021. As a reminder, we do expect to increase our production capacity once our expansion projects are completed and fully commissioned, so not before 2021. And finally, we are pleased to have confirmed the extension of our exclusive agreements with Glencore for an additional three-year period. This provides a measure of certainty, stability to the fund, and allows us to focus on our operations and safely move forward with our uh, expansion projects. That concludes our remarks. Operator, back to you for the Q&A. Thank you. Great, thank you. If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if there are any questions at this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And your first question here comes from the line of Ben Franklin with River Six Capital. Please go ahead, your line is now open. Hi, Paul. Um, I was reading through the base core agreement and uh, there's a restriction on dividends if the ABL is terminated. The, the percentage of excess cash flow paid out as a dividend is limited, but this percentage is redacted due to, due to being commercially sensitive. I guess my question is, uh, how, how is this commercially sensitive? I mean, who, who would want to know or care about this other than shareholders? Can you help me understand? Uh, yeah, good morning, Ben. Um, I can't really talk to that too much more than what's in the redacted version. Um, it, it, was, it was a sensitive item from the, from the base core side and was decided to be redacted, and we, we ultimately agreed with that. So um, I can say, though, that it's um, you know, similar. Uh, we have similar kind of terminology and uh, restrictions with respect to the ABL. So it's uh, it's not it's not misaligned from our restrictions that we have with the AB, with the ABL lenders. That's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of John Barton with Private Investor. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you. Number one, could you offer a little more commentary to help me reconcile um, cash from operations and EBITDA? As I read, you know, as you stated, you used 3 million in operations, but that benefited from 18 million of working capital changes. So there's a big difference between your EBITDA and your cash from ops, I'd like to understand. And also you mentioned uh, receiving two shiploads of ore at the end of the quarter. Um, I assume that suffers from the low treatment charges of that period, and I'd love you just to confirm that. I'd also like to highlight Ben's previous question, which is I don't understand how dividend is commercially sensitive or dividend restrictions are commercially sensitive, but you, you answered that as best you can. Yeah, sorry, sorry uh, I can't really go too much far on that one, Doug, as I mentioned to Ben. On the, the cash flow from operations, you know, a big, a big part of that is the derivative instruments in the quarter. Um, we, uh, you know, with the, with the sharp uptick in pricing in the quarter, uh, there was a lot of, um, we had to settle a lot of those derivative instruments at a loss. Uh, so that created a, a, 
uh, drag on our cash flow in the quarter. As we go forward, uh, you know, assuming that the zinc prices remain constant, we'll be able to recover that. As uh, at the current time, the inventory we have in uh, in our warehouses now will be uh, running at a value that's uh, lower than the market price. So you'll have seen as well that there is a uh, reversal of the losses in, in uh, sorry, a reversal of the valuation allowance and inventory that occurred in the quarter as well, about $22 million. So uh, all the inventory we've got right now is sitting at uh, historical pricing, whereas our derivative instruments are uh, largely being priced at, uh, at future pricing. And uh, a lot of that is realized. So there's a very uh, lo relatively low level amount that's sitting in the unrealized column for those uh, losses at the end of the quarter. So that's, uh, that's a big hit to, uh, it's a big hit to the uh, the, uh, the, the cash flow. With respect to the inventories, um, uh, you know, we, as you know, the current contract we're running under is uh, based on uh, variable pricing or variable yeah, variable pricing based on market conditions. So as those uh, ships come in, uh, and they are subject to to QPs. Uh, it will be uh, will be subject to the QPs that are elected by the by the seller of the concentrate. So. It's, it's to be determined from within that what the exact treatment charges uh, will be applied. Because you have, uh, well, thank you, I understand that. Uh, because you have noisy numbers always, um, could you offer some commentary about where your break-evens are on treatment charges if those were, you know, if you were a hypothetically smoother operation? Um, what treatment charges do we look at as EBITDA break-even, and how has that changed with the capex you've undertaken? Yeah, I think you know what it's it's it's, it's tough for us to come up with a to nail down a, a number on the break-even uh, publicly like that. The the treatment charge uh, contracts we have aren't uh, aren't uh, we, we can't we can't disclose those conditions. If you look at the the, the numbers that we've got. Uh, you know, you can back into an estimate of what your treatment charges are going to be, and you can see, you know, you can see what our, our run rate is normally from a a tonnage point of view. You can see what our run rate is. Uh, you know, our, our our production costs are relatively stable, and you should be able to back into a range yourself as to what the uh, what the pricing is from a zinc price point of view, and it'll be offset by those. Uh, by the treatment charges that you can calculate back into through the uh, through the through the publicly available information. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Doug Warwick with TD Asset Management. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, uh, Paul. Thanks for taking my question. Um, congratulations on the streaming agreement and uh, extending the supply agreement with. Um, with Glencore, uh, my question has to do with uh, you know, distributions. Uh, last year, your EBITDA for the whole year was 23.3 million US. For the first nine months of this year, it's already 41.2 million, and uh, so US. So it should be higher when you include the fourth quarter. So you uh, snuck in a six cent distribution, kind of the the announcement was the last week of December last year. Um, just wondering, you must be thinking about uh, 
what uh, what kind of distribution you have to do now. I know it's it's mandated with the trust agreement. Um, any thought to what the special might be at the end of the year or when you might get an ongoing distribution started? Yeah, so um, that uh, distribution that's been paid out actually the last two years, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's part of the trust indenture. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's mandated within the trust indenture. There's, there's two options on how uh, that taxable uh, impact can be transferred to you. One is, is, is simply by paper and, uh, and then transferring that, that uh, taxable income that's, that's residing in, the, in NIF to you or we can pay it out in cash. And, and we've, you know, the, the directors have, uh, the trustees, sorry, have elected in the last two years to pay that amount out in cash. So uh, we are still in the process now of determining what the taxable income is in that, uh, in that entity. Uh, and we'll work through that process in November and December. And then from there, uh, depending on what the result is, uh, cash availability and uh, et cetera, we will then go to, uh, to the trustees for their recommendation or approval on uh, a distribution, not a distribution in the event that there is taxable income to be distributed. And then of course, it will be subject to, to ABL lender approval. So I, I'm sorry, I can't give you a definitive answer on that. It's a bit of a long answer, but that's the, uh, that's the reality of the situation. Okay, so sounds like we'll have a good idea within about six weeks on that. Uh, any thought to a regular distribution uh, going forward? It, it seems to me that uh, mine supply will restore itself to, it will normalize next year and, uh, you know, uh, tolling will become scarcer. And uh, like even so, like, like fixed rate negotiations for tolling charges for 2021, the, the preliminary numbers are 160 to $190 already. Um, which isn't too bad a number. So, you know, like I, uh, you know, you you got to get to a point where uh, you can start a, a regular distribution. Yeah, so we're always looking, uh, you know, on a very regular basis and uh, discussing this with the trustees as well on where we're at with respect to distributions, whether it be a regular distribution or one-offs. Uh, we are analyzing the, the results and, and, and providing calculations on funds available for distribution. Uh, we're certainly also in touch on a regular basis with our lenders on, on that particular matter along with, with other matters. Um, and, and so it's certainly something that, that, that's out there. You know, and What we've seen with the pandemic has created uh, much more uncertainty as to future zinc pricing, uh, mine supply, uh, treatment charges than we've had in the past. And, and, and even at that, Coming into 2000 and coming through 2017 and 18, there was there was quite a bit of volatility already. Thankfully, as we got through 2019, that that uh, volatility was or, or movement was was taking the treatment charges higher to our benefit. Uh, so that was very good from uh, our, our bottom line point of view. Going forward into 2021, you know, as we've mentioned, with uh, you know touching on some of the the Woodmac guidance uh, and and where the different analysts are coming at with respect to um, the treatment charges in, in, in 2021, really a lot of uncertainty with respect to that number as well. You, you know, you've, you stated some numbers there of 160 to 190, a bit, bit higher than the numbers that I've been looking at. And certainly when we look at what we're seeing in the market today, we're seeing uh, Chinese smelters uh, entering into contracts for, for 80 to $90 at the current time. So that's, it's a long way away from the 160 to the 190. 
again, you know, we just have to see how things play out as we go through the second wave, as a lot of uh, jurisdictions are uh, facing on the pandemic and potential third waves, and see what the, the implications of that for the, the broader economy. Um, and then certainly just the, you know, just looking at things from a, um, the, the, the immediate market fundamentals, uh, you go just on the zinc prices, uh, the fundamentals would indicate that zinc prices would be going down, but we've seen the contrary in, in the third quarter, and there's, there's broader influences at play there. So it's really uh, very difficult to get a, a view on what's going to be happening in 2021 with respect to any certainty and, and trying to back that into what that means from a, a distribution policy point of view. It, 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 it creates even more uncertainty than we had in the past. What we can say here is that we are uh, very uh, fortunate, I think, uh, and we've worked very hard to maintain our production cadence, and we've been successful throughout the, the pandemic at doing that. And so that's, that's, that, that, that is what's in our control. Uh, we've been reducing costs versus 2019, and we'll continue to work on that element as well and, and just try to keep, make sure that everybody here is, is safe and sound and that our production main, is maintained. Even with that in mind, though, uh, those elements are not uh, entirely within our, within our uh, control. And as much, as, as much hard work as we go through to make sure that everyone's safe and make sure that our, uh, those potential risks are being mitigated by other procedures in place here, uh, there's still a lot, uh, a lot of uncertainty with respect to how the pandemic will play out in 2000 and 2021. Sorry, that was a long, okay. that was a long explanation, but yeah. I, I no, wanted no. to touch on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks for for thanks for all the the flavors you put into that answer. I I appreciate that. I, you know, those those numbers. I I wasn't making it up. That was what Morgan Stanley was talking about. So so we'll see where they go next year. Yeah. Thank you. We can we can we can be optimistic and, and work work forward to that and, and just make sure that we keep keep rolling as we are now and, and keep safe. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Ernie. Your next question comes from the line of Ernie Hamilton, private investor. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi there. Good morning. Um, I've got sort of two questions. Uh, first one is when I look at the accounts receivable and the accounts payable and for the last three or four quarters when things have finally stabilized I see it's uh, about 25 we we have uh, receivables of about 25 million dollars higher than payables every quarter and so that uh, I'm wondering why when we only have one supplier and one customer, and they're the same person, why he always owes us more and we have to carry around $25 million of, uh, of working capital. What causes that? Uh, one, of the, one of the influences of that are the, the actual contracted terms on, on the, the receipt of payments for the sale of metal and the payment of the, uh, the concentrate that we're purchasing. There will also be impacts uh, on, a, on a quarterly basis with respect to the LME prices, that the pricing and the quotational periods that apply to those different payments uh, or receipts will also, will also vary. Uh, so there's a number of, uh, a number of impacts, uh, elements that impact the, the accounts receivable balances versus the accounts payable balances. Yeah, but it's always one way. So it's like they, we give... Glencore better terms than Glencore gives NIF. Um, yeah, we can't. 
you know, from our position in management, we, we can't really comment too much on that. The, the payment terms are negotiated between the independent trustees and Glencore, uh, and we, uh, we take those contracts and we, we apply them here and, and work, uh, work under the guidance of those contracts. Okay. So that's, I mean, the way it's sitting right now, it's 25 million bucks constantly on our books as working capital uh, more uh, because of the, the that difference. Okay. Yeah, and some, some, of it, some of it will be based on timing of vessels, et cetera, as well, and timing of payments. So uh, if you've got uh, different timing of different different uh, parcels, you'll see the payable amount increase as well. So it really just depends on, uh, so in, in some respects, depends on the timing of those uh, those terms and when they are uh, when we're reporting them. So what we're reporting there is at a point in time. Uh, we're not reporting intra month, uh, which would have uh, other movements and other indications as we go forward. So I would also caution that uh, we are reporting on those numbers only four times a year, but there are there are 365 days of the year. So um, you know we we report as we're required. And uh, we can't really do too much more than that on a reporting basis. Yeah, I, I can I can understand that. It's just I'm looking I'm looking I've been tracking this and it's the last three quarters are 23 million, 29 million, 28 million. That's the difference between the the two. So mm -hmm. that's is it pretty yeah, constant. If we, were, if we were to report on the 15th of the month, that number would be different. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's, and, that's a bit of that skews the results a little bit as well. So. Yeah, I and the other thing that I uh, uh, would be interested in is a comment to the extent that uh, you can on the concentrate inventory. Um, they uh, by doing what you suggested, taking the publicly available information, and that I can, you can I can back calculate to a reasonable degree of accuracy what the concentrate inventory is uh, uh, that you're carrying. And it's, right now it's around four months and has been all this year, uh, the, the three quarterly reports, but prior years it was down around two and a half to three months, which is another huge chunk of working capital. Um, so I'd be interested to know what the concentrate inventory is. You don't report that number. You only report a dollar value, which means all kinds of calculations to get back to tons. So could we comment on the concentrate inventory? Hi, good morning, Ernie. It's Leanna here. Hi, Leanna. How are you today? I'm very good. Yourself? Good, good. Um, so I'll, I'll take that question. Um, you know, uh, we, we've moved from, uh, uh, go back a few years where most of our feed was local feed and would come in by rail in a consistent fashion. So uh, the inventories were, were what they were at that time. Uh, but since we've been receiving uh, vessels, uh, you know, vessels, unfortunately, they're, they're, they don't come in on a regular basis. They come in of different varying sizes and the concentrate quality tends to be different from one vessel to another. So just to be able to have the proper mix here, I mean, you, you could appreciate, uh, you know, how, how, uh, how the mix occur in a zinc plant. Just have the proper mix and make sure that everything's done, running stable here at the operation to optimize uh, throughput. Uh, we need a certain inventory to allow, um, to allow proper mixing. 
Um, and then the other factor that, that should be taken into account in that number, Ernie, is uh, the secondary material where we had uh, taken in uh, uh, a significant amount earlier this year. And uh, we'll be drawing down that inventory as we consume it sometime uh, towards uh, mid-next year. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's, it's part concentrate, part secondary material. Okay. And can you, uh, can you, uh, is all of the concentrate in your inventory, the dollar inventory, is that on site? Have you got that? Or have you got it piled around like in Quebec City and on boats halfway from Africa and places like that? Where, when do we take possession of the concentrate? Yeah. So uh, the, to answer your first question in terms of where the concentrate is located, we do have an amount here on site, uh, but then we do have satellite uh, warehouses at uh, different port areas uh, that will allow the storage of, of the concentrate that comes in by vessel. Um, okay. The, the local concentrate is, uh, we take possession once it arrives here on site. In terms of the uh, offshore, well, we, uh, we take possession uh, typically, uh, you know, a few days uh, after it leaves the port of origin. So there is uh, possession of material that's on the water. Okay. Okay. And you, you, you can't give me a number of concentrate tons of inventory. Uh, we don't traditionally provide that, that, that information, but I think you've given, uh, I mean, your, your calculation seems to be relatively accurate. Yeah, okay. Uh, that, uh, that's, uh, that's fair enough. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you, Ernie. And I'm not showing any further questions that are in the queue at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the presentation today. This concludes today's conference call, and you may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 